I, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, I talked about faithfulness. I did not get done. So this is part two. So uh, this uh, would be faithfulness. How, uh, uh, how can I serve you mindset is what we ought to, ought to have, right? So my, let me say my notes are online. They're always there. Also, uh, I want to give a commercial or two. I write a blog uh, most days, Monday through Friday, so that's online, as well as a podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The podcast, I'm teaching on divine healing. There's a lot of sickness mindset today. How many have figured that out? And if I can just be brutally frank, there's reasons that a lot of people are very ill, and it has to do with what happened the last three years and that's, uh, and it's becoming so much that it's turning heads. Friends, Jesus on the cross accomplished forgiveness of sin for us, made a way for us to go to heaven, but also made a way for us to be healed and free from sickness and disease. Yes or no? And that's something I feed on in my personal life a good bit. So my podcast for the next long while will be on divine healing. And I'm just going to turn over, so to speak, every rock, look under every bush and just talk about it in detail and try to make it absolutely as practical as possible. I've been walking with Jesus this year would be uh, 40. Wow, is that right? 47 years, September 12th. And um and for the most part, I've just had divine health. It's just the way it is. But it's something I pursue. It's not, it's not something that's a side thing. It's a, it's a big deal to me because I can't do what God's called me to do unless my body's working right. Yes or no? And the enemy would love to sideline you by getting you so ill or so conscious or sickness conscious or body conscious that you can't concentrate on your spiritual stuff, Right? So that's a big reason that God wants you well. So anyway, that's available Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can go to MitchHorton.com. I have the rights to that particular address. You can also go to our website, and it's there, and there it is uh, on the screen as well. So tonight we're going to talk about faithfulness. How many believe God's raised Victory Church up for a grand purpose? I think our best days are ahead of us. How many could agree with that? So as we enter into our future, we're opening up Victory Academy in uh, this coming fall. Uh, the way we serve becomes all important. Yes or no? So we got a community to reach for Jesus. So I want to talk to you uh, again tonight about faithfulness. So here is a fact. Uh, my level of faithfulness uh, shows uh, my maturity level. Let me say it again. My faithfulness level shows my maturity level. You know, Susan and I in October will have nine grandchildren. We have four children, so we've been around lots of kids. And I'm constantly around kids. And so my grandchildren, the eight that we have now, they're constantly wanting to do things for me. I recently planted some flowers in the yard and I'm doing this and that in the house or I'm at one of my kids' house, houses and they want to help do this or that. And so the kids are always saying, can I help? Can I help? And I say, of course you can help. Of course you can. Well, grab this bucket, grab this, you know, grab the water bucket, do this or water this flower, you know, when we were working on the flowers. But one of the... Uh, one of the characteristics of children is they don't last long. You know, it's really, really great for about five minutes or less, and then they're out playing with something else, and something else has their attention. A butterfly just flew by, or a bird just landed in the bush, or, you know, somebody rode by, and you know, whatever. Something else is more important than what they were doing. So my maturity level, how many get it? Shows, show, my, is shown by how faithful I am. So, um, if you, so here's, a, here's a, something that's in my mind constantly. Uh, this is, man, how long? Probably eight years ago, I was in a 
seminar for pastors. And, and this is across the board generally still true. Um, I don't care what size the church is, a, a huge mega church, a small church, a middle-sized church. We're a middle-sized church. So um, regardless of the church side, size, only one-third of the people are involved in the ministry of that local church. Does that shock you for me to say that? That should. That means, that means two-thirds are, are, are all, they're, coming, they're coming to church services, and they may be giving, but they're not doing anything else. Do you get that? Now, that's across the board, every local church, and every pastor sings, sings the same swan song. I need more helpers. I need more workers. Now, you know, here at Victory, we've always had a big crowd of, we call them uh, our Victory Serve team now. We have a lot of really great people that help us serve. And the whole reason behind that is with a lot of churches in years past, church I was raised in, perhaps you as well, um, you had a few people, you, you had 10% uh, doing 90% of the work. Yes? You had a very small, small number of people that were doing everything and everybody else was just enjoying the, enjoying the ride. And people would get burned out. Well, we never have that goal here. And thankfully, that's never, we don't have the goal of just a few people. We don't want anybody to be burned out, right? So that's the reason we have a lot of people involved. You can get a lot of people involved and you can work just being a, a you know, serve team person. And uh, you work it into your schedule week after week because, you know, we got kids and jobs and school and stuff to do. But if you do that, what you'll find, it adds flavor to your life to be a faithful person. And if you're faithful in one area of life, did you know it spills over into every other area of life? So my goal and the goal of every pastor is take those two-thirds that are looking at you going, uh -huh, <laughs> and get them uh, their hands on stuff helping us do things. Yes or no? So uh, another angle of this, if you sense, it, it, you say, well, I wonder what God really wants me to be doing in the family of God. I would say um, if you look at all of the believers in the body of Christ, there's estimated 2 billion Christians worldwide. Uh, hopefully all of those will go to heaven that say they're believers nonetheless. Uh, 2 billion people worldwide. Um, the percentage of believers who are in the um, full-time ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that would be a small percentage. Would you agree with that? So, so, so see, I'm aware when I say that, that not everybody's going to have the kind of call that I have. And, and, and really, if God's called you to ministry, it takes, it's a lot easier to, 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 to have a job and, and do stuff, anything other than this, because this takes every single thing you have. You understand? And, and, and I'm telling you, it never stops. And I didn't realize that when, when God called me and I signed up and said, yep, I'll do it. But, but you know what? To do what God's called you to do, it takes everything you've got to, regardless of whether you're in full-time ministry or not. Yes or no? It takes absolute consecration and dedication. In fact, Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. There's always a time. Now, I want you to notice, Paul was called to be an apostle. When was he called to be an apostle? Before the foundations of the world. When was he separated to the office of the apostle? Well, he had to go through a period of time. He had to go through a period of spiritual maturation. He had to go through a, a time of spiritual maturity, preparation, and just growing. And, uh, and But what determined 
him being called to be an apostle and then separated. You stay right there in Jesus' name. So what deterrent, thank you. <laughs> I promise I'll try not to knock it down again, but I might get excited and we might do it again. Thank you. Give her a hand. Thank you. Thank you very much. So what determines, what determines the period between the call and the separation? It's, it's faithfulness. Now, you know, God called me. I can tell you this uh, second Tuesday of February 1977 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And say, I remember. And because I, I, I was going to school, I wanted to be a business person, I wanted to make plenty of money, take care of my family, and just enjoy life. And uh, God called me to preach. And that just upset all my apples in my apple cart. And, uh, and, um, and, then, uh, and, and so that was the call, but it took years of training, uh, I, I go to Bible school, I've been to three, and then I just had to be faithful. But the number one thing that I can say in my personal life that, that moved me along into the place that God had for me was, was simply just being faithful in small things. How many hear me? You know, back years ago, um, oh man, I'll never forget this Wednesday night, we had a young man uh, come my way. Uh, Tulsa has several Bible schools. We had lots of Bible school students in our church at the time. That was in the early 80s, mid-80s. And uh, so uh, after church service one Wednesday night, of course, I was on the staff of the church. And uh, this guy uh, come up to me and, uh, and engaged me in conversation because I was on the staff team. And he said, uh, he said, well, God's called me to be a prophet. I said, is that so? He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a prophet. I'm telling I'm going to be a prophet to the nations. He said, what do you think I need to do to get started? I, th I said, I think you need to go to that broom closet and get a broom and help them sweep the floors after service. Uh, he didn't like what I said. He didn't say much after that, I noticed. But if you want God to use you, how many know it's the small things that determine who you are and what you are and help develop character? Yes or no? So I talked about some of this two weeks ago. Some of these things uh, need to be repeated. The number one criteria God looks for in the lives of his people is faithfulness. To the faithful, God gives responsibility. You say, well, I want Jesus to use me. Be faithful in the small thing. Be faithful at what your hand finds to do. How many hear me? So here's a question. When Jesus looks at you, what would uh, he look at in your life and say, you're faithful? A answer that question to yourself, not out loud. What kind of faithfulness does he see in you? Answer the question. You know, our simple vision statement here at Victory is helping people become who God created them to be. And we do that several ways. We preach the word you know, and, uh, and then we give you opportunities to serve. We want you to be involved in our small groups because, you know, you just got to be around other people. Iron sharpens iron, right? But one of the big goals that I have for every person at Victory Church is be a part of our serve team. Why? Because I know the value of just being faithful in small things and what it'll do for you. And it will change it changes so much, it'll change your attitude, it'll change your motivations, and it'll take you out of your little world and put you in a different, it'll put you in a different position to understand and see things that you've never seen before in yourself, in other people, as well as in the Lord. How many hear me? But if all I do is I just come to church and, and listen and maybe give a little bit, but I don't get involved, see, I'm not going to grow the way God intended, yes or no? So, you know, again, I mentioned earlier Ephesians 4. 11, there are, we call them the five ministry offices in the church, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, 
teacher. I got to thinking about this today. In fact, here's the, the verse 11 and 12, Ephesians 4. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do you know it's not a you know, it's not the, the pastors and the ones in full-time ministry that are supposed to be doing all the work of the ministry. It's us together doing it, right? And, and they're supposed to be training the believers to do the work of ministry, yes or no? But I got to noticing this. Um, a successful church is where the pastor and, the, and those that attend the church work together to serve the community and serve the gospel in the various ways to to, to make it known in the community at large. And I got to thinking about that. Uh, I got to thinking about that. And I got to thinking about now. Now think about, here, here's Jesus. Jesus oversees all of the various ministry offices he's caused. So here's Jesus. And when he points his finger at somebody and says, I want you to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist. Or for me, I'm a pastor, teacher. See, when he points his finger at you and says, I want you to do that, so to speak, and he calls you into ministry, there is an anointing with that call, yes or no? And uh, I noticed that anointing when it began to form in my life. But did you know the anointings that God has placed in my life both to teach and to pastor? Did you know they came actually came via other people? that I was involved in their churches. I, I decided and chose to be faithful. And here's what you got to know about today. If you get nothing out of what I'm saying tonight, I want you to hear this. When you're faithful in a local church, whatever anointing is on that church will get on you. Y'all didn't even get that. Need to say that again. When you're faithful in a local church to do what Jesus has called you to do to help people, whatever anointing is on that church will get off on you. And it'll get into your family. It'll get into your children. It'll worm its way into, uh, into how you do your work and how you live as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a citizen. Yes or no? That anointing will ooze in you. But see, if you just sit there and do this, there's nowhere for the anointing to go. You got to open your hands and be faithful. How many hear what I'm saying? Uh, Psalm 33, I got that. I, was, I took a, a good size walk this afternoon. I was thinking about this. Psalm 133 came to my mind. This is amplified. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It's like the precious ointment poured on the head that ran down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest. So they would anoint the high priest and the oil runs down, you know, his head. He's got a big beard like some of you in the audience I'm looking at have. And it runs on down on his shirt, runs down, oozes down his arms, runs down his fingers. And then once it gets to his fingers, everything you touch, he's got that oil on it. Because he say he goes on. Then it came to come down the collar and skirts of his garments, consecrating the whole body. It's like the dew of lofty Mount Hermon and the dew that comes on the hills of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore upon the high and the lowly. Did you know there's life in the anointing of God? And, you know, I didn't realize it, but when God called me to minister, I didn't realize that, you know, here's what I thought about because I'm from the country and I helped my dad in the yard a lot. We had a huge garden, a half an acre garden, and it was a beast and a half to take care of. I just want you to know. And I was constantly drinking water out of a water hose because I get thirsty. And every time I cut the hose on, uh, cut the water spigot on and picked up the hose and waited until the water went from hot, scalding hot to cold and got some water. It always tasted like the hose. You know, when God uses you, 
you'll taste that anointing. And it'll go into every nook and cranny of your personality, of how you think about life, of what you value, of what you think is important, of how you deal with people, how you relate to others, how you see yourself, how you think about yourself, how you speak to others, and just what you do with your life and your time. It oozes into everything. So friends, I'm talking about something in every local church that is called of God. Now here's the issue. A pastor needs to be called of God. You can say what you want. I'm, I'm sometimes wonder, is that person really called? Here's the telltale sign. You need to challenge that in any church. You need to challenge it here. If a pastor's called, there will be an anointing in that house. Yes or no? There'll be an anointing. And see, I'm called to teach. And I preach sometimes. But primarily teach because that's the calling of a pastor. If you're called to teach, there's an anointing there. And when you're called to teach, it won't be boring. It'll minister life to your spirit. It's not just head stuff. It's heart stuff. Yes or no? So you need to judge that. If there's an anointing in the house, the way you bring it into your life is by just simply being faithful. How many heard what I just said? So that's the test of God's purpose. So I was thinking about this. I must get through some of these things. Uh, um, I mentioned some of this last time. Let me read a couple of these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it's essentially required in stewards that a man be found faithful, proving himself worthy of trust. That's uh, Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man or mankind will abound with blessings. He who hastens to be rich will not be un. Uh, go unpunished. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, 1 Timothy 1.12, who has enabled me. He counted me, what? Faithful, putting me into the ministry. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, here's the young man, Timothy, was the pastor of the, a very large church in Ephesus. He was being trained by the apostle Paul and the things Paul said to Timothy, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. He said, Timothy, get people to help you do what you, you can't do it all by yourself. But if you can get some people to help you, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And over the years of my ministry, I've always looked for people that have a faithful heart. That is, number one, they're faithful to Jesus. They're faithful to work, to the word. They're faithful in their personal life to Jesus. But, but then secondly, they're faithful. They're faithful to the local church that they attend. How many hear me? If you're looking for somebody to help you, look for a person with a faithful heart. And that's what Paul told Timothy. Commit these to faithful men. And then big things have little beginnings. Zechariah 4.10, who has despised the day of small things. See, the anointing starts small, but it grows and it increases. And if you get involved in a local church, you partake of the anointing that's in that local church. And that anointing starts oozing into everything you are and starts changing you. How many hear me? And it actually, uh, I've picked up, and I want to come back to a thought I had. I have picked up the anointings in my life just by the association of the ministries that I've been around. The first church that I was a part of when I came to Jesus in my hometown, Florence, South Carolina. We had a, they had a Bible school there. They have television ministry and yada, yada. But I got involved and just started being faithful there. And there are elements of my personality that were honed while I was there. That is, I picked up on something from the anointing that, that was in that house when Susan and I moved to Tulsa and we attended uh, Kenneth Hagin's Bible school. I, I followed that man like a, like a, um, 
like a, a cat follows a mouse. <laughs> I followed, I listened to what he said as much as I could. I'd be on campus. I'd go to their prayer meetings. I learned to value the Holy Spirit. I learned to value the anointing. I learned to value prayer. I learned to value walking by faith. I learned to really value the integrity of God's word. I, I really, you don't know this about Kenneth A. Learned to value walking in love. And all those things, they just begin to be absorbed inside of me as I was faithful as uh, Susan and I were students there at uh, Kenneth Hagen School, Rama, and then, and then I got on staff at a, a local church in Tulsa, and uh, Bob Yandin, he's been here a couple of times, he uh, was a teacher par none. In fact, uh, years ago, back in the 80s, some people called him the theologian of the charismatic movement. He was just such a, a man of the word and just had such a, uh, a strong teaching ministry. You know what happened? I, got, I would look back on that. A lot of the ways I speak and teach today, that anointing came from Bob, traveled down into that local church, and it grabbed my heart. And I am a lot of the ways I am because of him. Fast forward back in the early 90s, and I mentioned this last time on uh, Wednesday night when we talk about faithfulness, but uh, uh, a local church in my hometown, Florence, South Carolina, a pastor who is so unlike me. I mean, we're, we're, as, <laughs> we're on opposite, we're polar extremes, if you want to say it that way, and we're just so different. But see, God used him, and because God called me to go help him, and I didn't want to do it, but he told me to do it. I said, okay, but I found out that there were so many things that, and I didn't want to do it because I was so unlike him. But you know, I picked up when I just chose to be faithful. And let me say something about when God calls you to be faithful somewhere. It's not because you like everything the church does. It's not because you like everything about the pastor's personality or the or the executive pastor's personality or the staff team member's personality. It's not because you like everything the church is and does and, and, and how it does it. You might not like half of it, three quarters of it, but if God called you there, be there and be faithful. And you know what I found out? All of these various places that God has sent me in my life, a lot of the things they were doing because I was young, I was immature, I thought I knew everything and later found out I knew next to nothing. But I thought I knew so much that I began to criticize internally why the pastor said that, why the staff member did that, why they had this program going on, why didn't they do that, why didn't they spend more time doing that, why was it that way? And I didn't realize that God was just sitting back watching. He didn't say a thing. The Lord didn't, the Holy Spirit didn't say anything. It's like he's sitting back rubbing his chin. Wonder what Mitch's gonna do with this. Wonder what his attitude's gonna be through this. I was on staff for six years at a church in Tulsa. I will never let anybody ever see my journal. But I wrote in my journal all these things that aggravated me, all of these things that upset me, all of these things I disagreed with with the pastor. I look back on that almost in shame now. But you know what I found out? Uh, as I come back from it, all these years past that, I look back, it was all a test. And I've heard the Lord say to me, Mitch, I was just checking up on you to see how you would act when you didn't like what you heard or you didn't like the way you were treated or you didn't like this or you didn't like that. Did you smile? Did you gripe? Did you gossip? Did you complain or did you pray? And friends, that's a huge test to pass. Did you know that? So maybe you're watching and you're attending a church and maybe uh, and maybe you're involved in some people that are, that are having the pastor for dinner or some of his staff team and they're talking about what they don't like. 
You just need to be aware that God is involved in all those conversations. Yes or no? You know, thankfully in my life, you know, somehow by the grace of God, I passed those tests. You know, this church I just mentioned is so, so, so from, from the church in Tulsa, I got this teaching thing. Man, it's inside of me. My goodness me, it's so strong. My goodness. And then the second thing that I noticed, the church I just mentioned in my hometown, you know what I got from there? Um, and let me, the best way I can tell you to summarize, and, and I'll close pretty quick. Um, <laughs> I was casting the devil out of a woman. I know this sounds strange. And I've heard, I've said this before. And, um, and it was pretty strong and it didn't want to come out. So, uh, you know, I had to make it come out. I was quite forceful. I can be what I want to be. And I was. And, uh, but anyway, I asked him to come into office with me because I had to get that thing out of her. This woman had been, uh, she had been selling crack cocaine, doing other things. Anyway, she had a demon, a, a demon spirit. And it was manifesting and calling me names and saying some pretty nasty things. And I just told it to shut up and come out. And then it looked over across the room and it looked at the pastor that was in the room with me. And it said, I hate you. I just hate. It's, it's a man talking out of a woman's voice. I just hate you. I just hate you. You act too much like Jesus. And I said, well, you got that right at least. You're mostly a liar, but you got that right. Shut up and come out, you know. But that guy, the pastor, now you know one thing about him, he loved people. And you could tell he loved people by the way he acted and by the way he carried himself. And I was, uh, anyway, he was, uh, he was so soft with people and so kind, so gracious, winsome with his words. And I'm like the opposite polar end of the spectrum. And I'm the drill sergeant telling you how to line up and what you need to do. Because I was in that ministry all those, all that period of time that I was, actually I took the church over and I mentioned this last time and pastored it for him while he started a church in Latvia for one year. Well, you know what happened that whole year? The anointing of love that was on his life and the, uh, and the anointing of a pastor, a pastor's heart that just loves people. It came into me. I didn't even realize it until I came here and I had been here for years and I came here in 1994. That was in 1993. It was later on that I realized, you know, something's happened to me. I'm not as harsh and hard as I was, something's changed. And you know what I, and you know what I think? I think it's because I had an association with a man of God who, who allowed Jesus to love people through him. What am I saying? The anointing of the house will get in you if you'll just be faithful. Yes or no? So there, I think maybe the bigger question is, uh, are you letting the anointing in? Uh, are you allowing it to change you? Are you, are you being faithful? If Jesus would have, was to have a personal conversation with you and he said, can we talk? Can we talk about your faithfulness? Wonder what kind of things he would say. Would he congratulate you? Or would he say, you know, there are a couple of things you might want to shore up on before you come and meet me at, at the final grand finale of this whole thing. So be a faithful person. Uh, we live in an age, can I, I just want to read some of these things because I, I want you to hear them. I, our, our current generation uh, has a mindset of comfort and entertainment over anything that has to do with future and sacrifice. Yes or no? And you know, if we're not careful, we let that into us. Our, our culture has a what's in it for me attitude instead of how can I help you? Is that true or not? And, and so even it, so, so let me talk about a few things here. If, if you're a volunteer, uh, if you uh, serve on our serve team. Now here, 
Here's the mindset of the culture around us. Um, if this is in you, Jesus wants to root it out. Can I talk it, say it that way? And if this is part of your life, say, Jesus, help me. Now, if I say some of these things, you say, whoa, that's, I'd be doing that. Well, you know, let Jesus say, Lord, help me. Work that out of me. All you've done is imbibed and absorbed the American culture around you. Because right now, it's as loose and lax and, um, and uh, oh my goodness, uh, uh, anything else you want to fill in the blanks with as it could possibly be. So doing Jesus' work on a serve team in a local church with the current cultural attitudes uh, tends, to, tends to show this. A person like that will be late to commitments. They'll be last minute, at the very last minute, like two hours before, oh, I can't come. I can't come and teach the children's class. Oh, I can't come and do this or that. Oh, I can't come and run the whatever, or I can't come, whatever. Does that make sense? Or they're scheduled and they just don't show up. We're so-and-so. They're supposed to be right there. And they're not there. Where are they? I don't, I don't know. See, that's a cultural thing that a person's allowed to creep into their life. Slackness in local church commitments. So we've had people over the years, and I don't think any, uh, anybody in here is like that. Let me see. No, I'm sure. <laughs> who who uh, had a volunteer commitment, and the only time you saw them at church is when they were volunteering when they were on their serve team, when they had to serve and do something, they were here. Otherwise, you really didn't see them a whole lot. How many know that shouldn't be? See, that's the culture around us. Uh, and then there's one other attitude. My commitment to God is not as important as other things in my life. See, that's the cultural trends around us. Uh, how can I serve you mindset? A person with that, and I think that's the piece of people I'm looking at in the room. Uh, they have these kinds of attitudes as they serve, being just as committed to do what they do for Jesus as they are to the job that they earn money on. Yes or no? Uh, there's no such thing as not showing up unless they call as early as they possibly can if there's an emergency and letting someone know what's up. Uh, a person with a how can I serve you mindset actually is early. One of my mentors in the Lord, um, uh, Bishop Houston Miles, who founded Evangel Fellowship International, and if you know me closely, you've heard me say this before, uh, he would say this as far as being a leader. He said, you're not on time unless you're minimum 15 minutes early. I like that. If you know anything about me, if you ever hung around me, I is early all the time. Why? Because if I'm not early, I'm late. If I'm on time, I'm late. That's been drilled into me, and I'm really grateful for those that put that in my life, and he's one that did that. So arriving early to a commitment because we're excited to see lives impacted and changed by Jesus through the word. Uh, a person with a how can I uh, serve you mindset is enthused, excited, involved in the local church services and fellowship opportunities and in small groups. And they're also inviting people to church to come to church with them. Yes or no? My and, and then they have this mindset. My volunteer work for Jesus is one of the most important things in my life. It's not a, it's not a side issue. 
How many know we do need balance in life? And I think there are those on the other end of the extreme. They do so much that they neglect their family. How many know you can be faithful to Jesus and still not neglect your children, not neglect your husband or wife, spend plenty of time with them and live a balanced life? Yes or no? How many think God's called us to do that? So those are just some of the attitudes that we should have. Uh, I had someone years and years ago, they used to constantly say to me, well, you can't expect too much, they're just a volunteer. I expect just as much out of our serve team here as I would somebody I pay or we pay. Yes or no? Why? Because you're not working for us, you're working for Jesus. Is that true? I do not have that mindset. What is the motivation we have for serving others? And, and being a person who is faithful. There are two major uh, motivations that should move us at all times. Very, very simple. Jesus said it in Matthew 22. Love for God. Number one, love for God and love for people. Why do I do what I do? Uh, because I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And secondly, I want to love my neighbor as myself. See, that's the motivation for ministry. Not to make a show, not so people can see you, no, not so people can see your new dress or your new outfit or your new pair of shoes, not so people can see how eloquent you may be able to speak. No, no, because you love people. You love Jesus first, right? Ah, anyway. Um, I want to end with this, and I, I, this is my second closing, and this is it. Um, and this is a challenge Regardless of what you do for God. So you think about, you think of people like uh, Billy Graham. Oh, you think about people like the Apostle Paul. You think about uh, people that you esteem in ministry that have high profile positions that are well known. And, you know, maybe now they're known worldwide and they have a large ministry and they have a large presence on the internet, yada, yada. You think they're going to get a lot of accolades when they get to heaven. Did you know the truth of the thing is? Now, this is a shocker. All of us get equal pay when we get to heaven. I don't care if you're called and nobody in the world knows your name but Jesus and your pastor. If you're called to pray and you do that faithfully, when you stand before him, you get exactly the same reward that Billy Graham got. Yes or no? Or that any other, or that the pastor gets, or any other person that you esteem in the Lord. No, if you're faithful, everybody gets the same reward. I want to read this as I close. Matthew 20, 1 through 16, New Living Translation. It's really self-explanatory, and it's a hard-hitting lesson. The truth is, for the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work at 9 o'clock in the morning. He was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon again at three o'clock. It did the same thing. So we hired some people at nine o'clock. They worked all day. So other people hired at noon. Other people hired at three o'clock. And then <laughs> verse six, at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some pe more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one's hired us. Land landowner told them, then go out and join others in my vineyard that evening. The foreman uh, uh, the foreman, he told the foreman to call the workers in to pay them, beginning with the last workers first. Mm -mm -mm. They're going to be some whining right here. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each one received a full day's wage. That's not fair. 
I can hear, I can hear my grandkids whining right now, right? When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. Yet uh, you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered uh, one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are now, uh, alas, now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. Wow. See, that's the great, what is the great equalizer in the body of Christ? Faithfulness. <laughs> See, God, when I get to heaven, he's not going to say, look at you, you're a fine pastor. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You got gold, jewels, and precious stones. God bless you. No, one thing he's going to ask me, Mitch, did you, did you do what I asked you to do? Uh, it's not my pastor hat. It's not my teacher hat. Did, did, I, did I obey the call of God? Uh, was I faithful in my heart? Or did I did do it to be seen? You hear me? So, so, so the little 85-year-old gray-headed grandma that nobody knows but calls your name when you're having a hard time and she prays you through the mess you make. She'll stand up before Jesus and she'll hear the same well done as a high profile person that you know. I don't know what you think about that, but I think that makes my father God really, really cool. Would you agree? <laughs> I just love him. He's just the best. Faithfulness, the great equalizer. Where are you? Are you partaking of the anointing of the house? Are you sitting on the sidelines with your hands folded saying, I ain't getting involved in that. I ain't getting my hands grimy. One day, we all want to hear that word, well done. And we all want to receive the pays God coming our way. Come on, close your eyes a minute. Come on, lift your hands up with me. Lord, just the fact that you call our name is amazing. Just the fact that you love us. Lord, you use us. And all we can think about is our frailties, our misdeeds, our misgivings. You see our hearts. The Lord sees not as man sees. You said then when they were choosing a king for Israel, man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. Lord, what would keep a person from being faithful? What would keep a person from partaking of the anointing of the ministry you've called them to, the church you've called them to, the body of believers you've called them to? What would cause their hands to remain folded? I pray that you work in me. I pray that you work in every person in this room. And the Lord, that you work in every person listening, either tonight or a day in the future. Call our name. Speak to our heart. I want to be found faithful. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Lord, I pray for those that are listening, they're in the room, hurt, pain, 
and loss are still a part of their personality when it comes to local church because they've been taken advantage of and they have been misused and abused. I ask for your mercy to move into them. I ask for the grace of God to enter into them and enable them to release the offense and no longer judge a church by the past, but judge righteously. Enable them, Lord, to let go of the pain, the hurt, the loss. Another person's had harsh words spoken over them. They were promised something that didn't happen. Let your grace come on them. Enable them to let that go and forgive them. Forgive the offending person. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I do this on occasion. Don't you look at me. We're closing, but I look at me. Don't you look me in the eyes. I'm going to look at all of you. Every one of you is precious to Jesus. So I want to uh, vicariously stand in for the pastor who's been harsh, uh, demeaning, insensitive, uh, maybe even to a staff team member who's, who's just not recognized you and if whatever way hurt you, would you forgive me? See, I'm standing in for them. Would you forgive them? See, Jesus is asking you, let it go. See, I'm aware. One thing I'm very aware of, I've been here so long here at Victory since 94, but we got so many people from so many different avenues of life and ministry, so many different kinds of local churches, denominational churches, non-denominational churches, all various persuasions of belief systems. What I'm very aware of is so many different pages here. Now, the challenge in a local church is to get everybody from all these pages on one page where we just love Jesus and help people, right? I say one thing that hinders is if you're still living, living with what could have, should, or would have happened, you can't enter into today. So let it go. So one more time, close your eyes. So Father, whoever I said that for, let the grace of God enter that person's life and enable them to release the hurt, the pain, and the loss in the name of Jesus. For the sake of whoever needs it, say this, pray this with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I make a choice right now to let go of any and all memories, any of all, any and all situations with pastors, with church leaders, or anybody in my past that has harmed me or not lived up to my personal expectations. I make a choice right now to let them go and to forgive them. So look at me again. Now I want you, I want, even if you don't need to do this, do it for the ones that need to. I want you to look at me and say, I forgive you, Pastor. You get it? See? See, you may not need that, but somebody does. I know that. I feel it in my heart. And you know, if, you, if you'll walk that out, Jesus will set you free from the past. And you'll be able to enter into the anointing here. Does that make sense? Or maybe you're from somewhere else tonight. And maybe you're watching and you attend another church. God wants you to partake of the anointing that comes from Jesus into the local church that you attend. Because friends, we need it today now more than ever. I mean, the place we're going into is going to be a 
I mean, the truth is, the future's got some pain, but at the same time, there's tremendous glory. And there's such joy. But you can't enter into it unless you're faithful.